Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. Hello again. Welcome to another episode. Um, today, well, today is Saturday. This probably won't be posted for a couple days, but I am headed to New York, which I think I mentioned um, in last week's episode. Um, seeing a bunch of friends, it's going to be a pretty short, packed, fun-filled trip. Um, I'm actually going to be recording an episode with my dad which is really exciting. Um, a few of you asked if I was going to be doing that, and I hadn't really thought to do it, but actually think it's a pretty fucking great idea. So my dad and I are going are gonna to record a podcast. I might record a podcast with a couple other people. We shall see. Um, but wanted to get this up and scheduled out for you guys because thankfully I've got a lot of episodes um, in the queue and a lot of people that I plan on interviewing. So it's been about an episode a week recently, which is nice. I like that. I like keeping it consistent and um, love all of these conversations that I'm having and that you guys are out there listening to them, um, which is amazing. Um, so today's episode is with, uh, say, my friend Trisha. We've actually never met in person. We're internet friends. You know how that goes. Um but yeah, it's one of the things I think is kind of great about the internet because I think we live in a society right now which where we are so separate and so isolated. And I think it's really devastating. It is devastating. There's so much science that talks about how loneliness is killing us and we've taken ourselves so far away from what I believe is our sort of natural human structure of organizing ourselves, which is like in communities, you know, tribal communities moving around. Um, so thankfully technology, you know, and who knows, is technology keeping us or uh, provoking the separateness or helping to alleviate it both? I don't know, but I definitely feel like at times it helps to alleviate it. Um, and, uh, which is cool. Trisha and I connected over the internet and I, um, we shared a lot of similar experiences as it relates to kind of childhood and mother wounding and emotionality, all of which you will hear on this show. Um, it's actually that sort of, uh, connection to others and being vulnerable as a means to breed vulnerability is actually a big motivation behind us recording this. Um, I kind of had just reached out to Trisha. The, one of the podcast episodes on this show that was the most popular was the one that I did with Bethany Webster about the mother wound. Um, a lot more popular than the other episodes, in fact, like by a long shot. And that really struck me and it 
it told me that I should probably talk about more of this stuff. And I thought it might be a cool idea to talk to just a friend and have a really like off the cuff, unscripted conversation about our, both of our unique experiences around some of these things. And hopefully by doing so that we would make other people going through those same things feel less alone. So this whole separateness and isolation and not being able to connect with people who are having similar experiences was actually a huge motivation behind recording this specific podcast episode and honestly creating this entire podcast. Um, I've talked about this a lot, but going through what I was going through, I was like, um, where do I go? Where do I turn? Who do I talk to? Who understands this? And if it weren't for thing, honestly, podcasts, if it weren't for podcasts specifically, but the internet at large, I think I would have, um, things would have been a lot harder. That's for sure. It definitely helped to be connected in these ways. So grateful for this episode, for this podcast, even more immensely grateful that there are people on the opposite end of this microphone somewhere out in the world listening to this. Um, just the fact that you guys are there makes me feel really good. Like maybe it's obvious that I'm trying to make other people feel less alone, but you guys make me feel less alone too. So that's awesome. Um, what else? Uh, I probably, I don't have much to say. I think I'll just get into this episode. I guess the one thing I'll say as a bit of a disclaimer for this show is, and, and Trisha and I expand upon this, but talking about these things, especially when they relate to childhood, which inevitably means we're talking about our parents, um, it's a very complicated uh, situation to try and do our best to share openly and honestly and vulnerably without um, disclosing the privacy of somebody else. And I have struggled with that. I have made mistakes. I probably made some mistakes, said some things I didn't really want to say in this podcast. Um, I think it's important to um, tell as much as you can, share as much as you can without overdoing it. Um, I tend to err on the side of probably desiring to share too much. And I, I think that really goes back to the experience of I, I had of feeling so alone and like wanting so desperately to hear from other people and hear their stories and feel less um, insane and crazy and isolated in my own experience. And creating this podcast was a way for me to be like, hey, anybody out there that feels similarly, don't worry, you're not alone. Here are some things that I went through so that you don't feel as crazy. Um, but it's a fine line to walk. And um, yeah, I think that's all I'll say is just to give both <laughs> me and Trisha and yourself, you know, um, grace to be imperfect around this and um, allow the process of, you know, discretion and honesty and vulnerability be a process and learn from um, mistakes and, um, share where you feel uncomfortable, but not to the point where you are doing something just for the purpose of victimhood or, um, trying to get sympathy in some way. So, um, yeah, that's all I'll say about this. Uh, I will share a few more words just about me and my life and my own relationship to my mother at the end of this episode in relationship to the song I play. So, Stick around and uh, talk to you on the other side.
All right. So I am talking to Trisha, which honestly, I feel like we go way back in a really bizarre way, like the magic of the internet, right? So Mm -hmm. I found out about you. This was so many years ago. It was when you, I think, were like featured on when Instagram had that like highlighted profile thing. And I was working at Suja at the time. And I remember a colleague of mine, I don't know, came across your page and we thought your photography was gorgeous. And I don't remember why we were on your page, but I just remember like reading your stories about uh, that had happened, that like Instagram had featured you and all of a sudden... Yeah. It it was like kind of a, can I cuss? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> it was kind of a shit show. Yeah. I mean, to be quite honest, like, yeah, yeah it was a, it was a, the, it was just a dumpster fire, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Trisha, I mean, you're a food photographer at the time, I guess you'd had a blog already. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, and I had a blog and so like kind of years passed and we kind of connected in that space of having a health and wellness blog. And then, uh, yeah, like a year, a little over a year ago, I went on Instagram and basically was like, fuck the blog, like fuck my life. I'm, I'm changing everything. Burn this shit down. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, and it was, you know, and I was just talking to someone about this recently who asked me out of the blue, like, how do you have all those Instagram followers? And I was like, who didn't know me before? And I was like, well, I had this blog and I made a conscious decision at the time that I wasn't going to create a new account. Mm. Um, Like I, I thought it was really important for people to witness that sort of a transition, not like, okay, that's in the past and now I'm something different, but like, that's still a part of me and I'm just going to start posting about different stuff. And if you want to stay great and if not, and it was amazing how many people stayed and how many people were supportive. Um, and then a little bit after that, I saw you started this blog called medicated like me Mm -hmm. and you started writing about a lot of the same issues that I had talked about. Um, and I remember reaching out to you just being like, thank you. I'm so happy to see when food bloggers start like branching out and writing about really tough emotional stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, um, as I was saying before we started recording, I completely didn't really prepare for this. Trisha and I have relatively, I think, similar parallel stories around um, childhood trauma and mother wound issues. And I think just like pure interest and career and stuff alone. Yeah. Um, so I thought it would be valuable to have an organic conversation with someone because I know when I was going through what I was going through and grappling with a lot of my past that I was desperate for (laughs) examples of other people that had been through what I was going through so that I felt a little bit more warranted in my experience. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like too, though, just even saying that that's such a universal, um, experience for a lot of women. I feel mm-hmm. like who are struggling through things that are a little more taboo, um, issues where a lot of times women are blamed for things or, um, you know, people want to put responsibility on sort of the victim. Um, there can be a lot of shame 
around that. And it's something that people don't talk about, whether it is, you know, breaking ties with family, whether it's divorce. Um, you know, I think a lot of those things for women are really shameful topics and people don't come out and share them because they're afraid of what people are going to say. So just in general, that can feel so isolating when you're going through that to just feel completely alone. There's no one who can relate to your experience. There's no one you can look to, to say, you know, even not even like she went through it and she's okay, but just that somebody else can understand where you are. For sure. Yeah. Or like she's going through it and she's not okay. I mean, that, that was something I'm sure you experienced this too. Like I thought, well, I could figure this all out and then talk about it. And I just, I couldn't, I felt like there was like an explosion of stuff that needed to come out. I would love to know how you decided to start writing. (laughs) Like, how did you make that decision? Um, (laughs) Well, it's really funny that you said that too, of sort of like an explosion, because I feel like when I started, when I started medicated like me, man, I just felt like those words were literally just pouring out of me. And it was like a flood that couldn't stop and was determined to just destroy everything in this path, you know? Yeah. Um, And I look back at those early things that I wrote and I, it, and I understand like it was very raw and very emotional and exhausting and very just just vulnerability in a new way that I hadn't experienced before. And I'm a very, very um, guarded person in terms of like my heart. I definitely guard my heart and I, I have a hard time being vulnerable. Um, I think as women, that's probably a common theme as well. Just wanting to constantly be strong and take care of everything and be able to do it all on our own. And a lot of times those traits of I do it all myself really, you know, it's to a fault because we don't allow people to sort of help us heal in a way that we need to heal. And we don't allow ourselves to feel grief and anger and frustration. And just, we don't allow ourselves to be like, you know what? Fuck all of this shit because it's terrible and I'm miserable and I have to do something about it. Um, you know, when I started, when I started medicated like me, I, I honestly meant it to be a photography project. Um, and now through meeting, um, some other people, I've learned this term therapeutic photography. Have you heard of this? I haven't. I haven't either. <laughs> um, no, I haven't either. And I, I just connected with this really great, um, nonprofit organization and I'll, I will look them up so that I can make sure I say their right name. But, um, I connected with this girl, Danielle, and she was basically like, what you're doing is therapeutic photography. And I was like, well, I've never heard of that, but, you know, at the time I felt a little, um, just like I kind of didn't have a lot of creativity in photography. And so I wanted to do a photography project and I had talked to a friend about starting, you know, some sort of personal project, which is really big in the photography world. You know, people decide to just take on other projects that they feel personally attached to. And, um, I I knew I wanted to do one and I knew I wanted to take photographs of women. Um, You know, I just didn't know much of it, much of what I wanted to do beyond that. And then I ended up having just like a really, really, really terrible day um, where I was literally just like broken down to the point that 
you know, as I said, I don't allow myself to go to that space in front of people. Um, my best friend, I've been friends with her for almost a decade, over a decade. And she actually has said to me recently, it's okay for you to cry in front of me. You know, like I just don't allow myself to have that space. And so I was having a really terrible day and, um, I just was sitting in like my bathroom crying. And I thought like, this is my project. Like I am now my project. And so I got out my camera and I just, uh, set it to, you know, auto and it started snapping pictures and, and that's sort of how it began. Um, and when I started writing, I didn't know what the purpose of it was. Really, I felt like it was just for me. And it was a place that I could say whatever it was that I needed to say or wanted to say. And I didn't even really intend to share it. I, I considered actually writing it completely anonymously. Um, because I always worried that if I did share it, and obviously the platform with which I would share it would be Instagram. So then people would know me and know the things that I was saying. And then that meant that people would probably look at me differently or even say things to me. And I felt like once I started sharing it, it might actually hinder the things that I wanted to be able to say. And I still have a lot of stories that I just can't tell yet. Um, and I hope that I'm able to, and some of those stories aren't even mine. You know, some of those stories belong to family members of mine, um, just things that they've gone through and the ways that we have all sort of handled it. Um, but I, I, I wasn't sure I wanted to share it. So I, I did share it with a couple of really close friends, a handful of people. And kind of the resounding thing that they kept saying to me was that while, yes, it was difficult to read, especially those closest to me, it was difficult for them to read but they just felt that it could be so helpful to other people. And so that's when I decided that I would go ahead and release it to the world. And for people who haven't read it, can you talk a little bit about what it was that you wrote about? Yeah. I mean, essentially after probably um, my timeline gets a little fuzzy, but I feel like after about a year into therapy, um, I feel like sort of 2017, 2018, I had a bit of a breakdown. Oh, same. <laughs> same. <laughs> Cosmically happening. Yeah, like dark night of the soul. Everything blew up. Everything. Yeah, at the same time. I mean, I felt like I sort of had this breakdown, but I guess in reality... I probably shouldn't call it a breakdown because it was 38 years in the making. You know, I should probably call it a breakthrough. Um, and I just sort of came to this place where I was so broken down and desperate and just knew that I could not go another day feeling, you know, completely hopeless and lost and, you know, just immensely sad. I just knew that I couldn't do that anymore. And I had a really good friend who had nudged me for the last few years, you know, you should really get into therapy. You should look and get into, you know, finding a therapist. And luckily I sort of had that, um, gentle, constant nudging from her, um, and so it finally, you know, prompted me when you're under the covers sobbing and Googling things like signs of depression, like yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert, you probably have depression, you know, but like yeah. admitting that, admitting that felt like weakness to me. And I had always felt like I had to build up this thing to be very strong. 
So I decided to go into therapy and probably a year-ish into my therapy, um, my therapist had suggested that I start on some medication. And I think it was mainly her concern that she could foresee some really big issues that I needed to go through. Um, and so she sort of was like, you know, I know you're not really into that, but maybe just go see the nurse and see what she has to say. And so um, I wrestled with that um, immensely. And I feel like, and I don't know if you feel the same, but especially in like the holistic health and wellness genre, um, I feel like a lot of times putting yourself or being on medication is there's quite a bit of stigma attached to that. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, just that you, you should have, you know, done this with your diet or you could have exercised more or, you know, you should have been grounding outside and just sort of all these ideas that perpetuate um, putting the blame on the victim, putting the blame on the person who's really having the struggle. And, um, you know, I just went back and forth for a really long time, but I finally decided that I was going to get on medication. And honestly, the change, just that alone that that brought to my life was, was beyond what I even, I couldn't see how bad I had gotten, if that makes sense. It's sort of like when someone's drowning, right? They can't give themselves a life preserver. And I, I really, really, my depression had gotten so bad that I, but I, I wasn't able to see it because I was in it. And so going through, you know, finding myself on medication and sort of re-navigating my life as this medicated person, I had this feeling that like, this is something that I needed to share with people, especially because I knew how much I agonized with the decision to go to therapy and the decision to put myself on medication that I thought, man, if I I could just like convince one other person who's struggling to just take that look and sort of kind of like help themselves, then it would be worth it for me to start writing about, about this, you know? So, um, and so the stuff that came up for you in therapy was a lot of, and I I think that's what I initially remember reading about was a lot of stuff from your childhood. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that like, I even wrote this post about like things I'm getting better at. And one of them was saying I had a really shitty childhood, um, because I did. (laughs) And I I can... Like, I also want to say for people too, and I'm sure you experienced this, like shitty childhood, because I also think this was used against me in a way where it was like, but what do you mean? Like you had a roof over your head and food on the table and like you went on vacation and you went to summer camp. So how could you possibly say that you had a shitty childhood? And, you know, both things can be true. Like (laughs) something can look one way on the surface and exist. And I think that like, that's what I really resonated with, with you because when people, I think a lot of times we, and honestly, I think this is because a lot of people have our experience. Mm -hmm. So to recognize like our childhoods as shitty or traumatic means that they need to maybe look at theirs as such. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's why I feel people like us get attacked. People blame us because we're bringing to light something that's like this cultural lie <laughs> that like we were all perpetuating. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I just wanted to mention that because I feel like people say like shitty childhood, you were like on the streets and like, you yeah. know, severely, 
you know, sexually or physically abused. And like, that's not always what it is. Like emotional abuse can be subtle and just as, if not more traumatic. Yeah. I mean, Um, and I think that was honestly one of the hardest things for me is actually coming to terms with, with accepting that. I mean, I knew that, you know, things weren't always awesome when I was growing up, but I always sort of compared myself to like the worst case scenario. Yes. I had food, you know, yes, I always had clothes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there were a lot of basic necessities that were met, but you know, emotionally and mentally, there were a lot of things that were really not okay. And so, I I mean, I totally agree with that. It took me being in therapy to, to have a therapist say to me, those things are not okay. (laughs) Same. Same. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I was like, you know what? (laughs) You're right. Those things aren't okay. And I think honestly, my process of going through therapy and recognizing that my childhood, you know, had been quite traumatic and probably from a very, very early age before I even, you know, had memories, um, that I can recall now, but I knew too, that I was so desperate to not perpetuate that with my own children, that that really is what continued to propel me forward in sort of this understanding and healing process. And I mean, I'm still in the process of healing and, you know, grief is not a straight line. Um, and, and anytime there's, um, trauma, you know, there's, there has to be some form of grief. So, I mean, even times that I will think to myself, I probably don't even need to go to therapy anymore, you know, and then I'll have a session and be like, what happened (laughs) now? What happened? You know, I mean, I'm just like rocked to my core. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I wish that it was something that more people were talking about. Yeah, same. Well, here we are. <laughs> We're trying our best. <laughs> we um, leave them? I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember. And like the anger phase of this, I mean, I still, it's less so now. I mean, it's now we've, we're into like two and a half years. But I remember at the beginning, like there was so much of that. And I remember my dad said something to me that really resonated because I felt there was some part of me that felt like I needed to stay in that place of anger. And he said, you know, you feel like that because that feeling that you have is probably like the most authentic feeling that you've had in a really long time. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that just completely, that just made so much sense. It was like, I don't maybe need to stay here forever, but you're right. This feels like anger that I have been needing and wanting and suppressing for decades. And um, why, why do you think it was so hard for you to be angry about it? Um, because I think, I mean, it stems, it goes way back, but I had to survive. <laughs> like, I, I mean, and I remember different parts of my childhood and even with my, me and my brother, phases of this of like management and in like infuriation and management and anger and um it was like a constant you know because when you're kids right like you automatically assume that your parents are there to support you and love you unconditionally and that's the story you tell yourself and so when anything happens that sits outside of that you convince yourself that 
you're not worthy or that's normal or there's no capacity for you to understand that your parents would cause you any harm. Um, And so first of all, there's just all of that denial and crazy making, you know, and, and I remember so many, there's one like a memory that I have super vividly of being gaslighted about something. It was really silly, actually, like really stupid. Like I was confident I was with my mother and we were at a store and I knew we bought something and Mm -hmm. she was like, no, we never bought it. We only bought two of them. I was like, no, I know we bought three of them. Like I fucking know. (laughs) And I remember like throwing myself down on the floor and just like writhing in anger. And, And of course, like in the end, we did actually have three of them. Um, but it was like, that wasn't sustainable, that Mm -hmm. type of emotion. And I remember getting, I've gotten to those places at times in my life and they are like, I think I'm going to have a heart attack. They're so Mm -hmm. intense sometimes. Um, so yeah. And, and also because when I got angry, got upset, had really any emotion that wasn't happy, positive, la la land, I was told those feelings were invalid. Right. Yeah. And as a kid and then moving into adulthood, I mean, as a kid, you just believe it because you don't know any better. And as an adult, when you've been told that your emotions are crazy for Mm -hmm. so long by so many different people, because of course, then we just pick people to surround us uh, that are identical to (laughs) to the people that raised us. Like I truly didn't know what was a valid feeling. I just didn't. Um, like, and I remember when I read your initial post, like I so recognized that phase of like word vomit of just like, this is all the stuff I feel. (laughs) Um, yeah. So that, that's where I'm sure you had a similar experience in really. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, just the continual sort of reminder that as a child, your feelings aren't valid. If you do anything to question adults and authority or to second guess the people who are in charge of you, or, you know, if you do anything to make them upset, then, you know, you're inherently, you know, not good, right? Like your job is to sort of reinforce that parent that they are doing a great job when in fact, they're not, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I think that, you know, that was something that I, I struggled with so much as well. Um, just constantly being told that my feelings weren't valid. There was nothing wrong with me. Um, you know, just, and, and me internalizing this idea that to be loved, I needed to be good. And to be good meant that I needed to do whatever was asked of me, essentially just do what people want. Um, you know, and then, and then they won't be upset with you. And I, and I have realized through therapy, which is really crazy, but you know, I'm essentially, I, always wanted people to be happy. I actually said that during therapy in regards to a work issue. I said something to my therapist, like, I just really, really always want people to be happy. And then she was like, Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) This moment where I, I mean, it was like, you know, fireworks went off. Um, and as she's taking notes, she's like, well, you know, I see what you said here and she flips the page over and she's like, you always want people to be happy. And I had this moment where I was like, I didn't say that. 
I don't care if people are happy. It's not my job to please people. And then she was like, no, no, remember you just said it. And, and I was like, huh? Oh no, that was a surprise. I, I had no idea. Like genuinely, I had no idea. I would never have considered myself a people pleaser. But if I look at my last almost four decades, um, I see a lot, a lot of parallels in situations where I have allowed other people's happiness to basically trump my own happiness just for the sake of feeling, I don't know, worth feeling importance, feeling some sort of false sense of security that probably, you know, wasn't, wasn't real. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a painful process to move through. Yeah. I had a, I had a similar experience with, I said something identical twice. It was some guy I was very loosely involved with, but, and she asked like, why are you continuing to take part in this sort of toxic dynamic? And I said something like, well, I just, it, I find it really hard to believe that anyone could really be this mean or this cruel. She's like, do you realize you said the exact same thing about that other guy that was like doing, and that was, and of course, then it's like, because I had gone to a million therapy sessions, like, well, obviously that's a reflection of my childhood. It didn't yeah. make sense that anybody could be that yeah. cruel, you know, yeah. It, it's, um, yeah. Do you, the process of learning to listen to hear and trust your intuition, like, mm. ha, has that been profound for you? <laughs> um, honestly, man, I feel like I'm still working through oh, that. Oh, same. Yeah. Um, I'm still working through that to be like, and I think it's because I was always told that I couldn't trust myself essentially. Oh, totally. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anytime I had a reaction, it would always be, Trisha, why do you overreact to everything? why do you have such big reactions? This isn't a big deal. And so I would say to myself, okay, you're right. It's not a big deal. I now have to take your viewpoint of the problem I'm having and decide for everyone. So everyone's happy that this isn't a big deal. And the same sort of situation with like, you know, just, you know, as of like just a few months ago, um, I know you and I kind of talked about this, but I essentially had to cut ties um, with my, with my mother. And it, it sort of resulted in this situation where, you know, I was going through something really challenging and, um, and I don't know if you have found yourself doing this, but, uh, every so often I decide to sort of open myself back up thinking now is going to be the opportunity right now is when she's going to do X, Y, and Z. She's going to be in this place of support. She's going to, you know, do the things that I've been waiting for. And man, I can even look back at my life and pinpoint the times that I was like, now, now is going to be her chance. Now is when she's going to turn it around and constantly being disappointed, um, you know, every time. And I sort of opened up to her about this struggle that I was going through. And instead of just sort of being like doing me a solid and being like, you know what, that sounds really terrible. I'm here for you, whatever you need. Um, it really turned into being all about her and a lot of sort of this gaslighting issue of, you know, you're doing this and you're doing that. And just saying horrible, terrible things to me that, that I, intuitively knew was wrong. Right. 
But even knowing the things that she was saying were wrong and the way she was behaving was wrong, in my mind, I said, oh, I probably caused this. This is my fault, I bet. She was being nice. Had I not had this unnecessary reaction, you know, she wouldn't have behaved this way. And it's, I'm still trying to learn to trust myself because it's been so many years of people constantly telling me to calm down. And I am so fucking tired of being (laughs) told to calm down. But I want to just say, I will be as fucking angry as I need to be. Like, and if you can't handle it, get out of my way. You know, like allow me to be angry because I feel like that. And that is something I even try to, to tell my kids. If you need to be angry, be angry, right? But don't be mean. You can be angry. Just take care of it. Do what you need to do. Feel the things that you need to feel. But far be it for me to take that from you. Because that's your genuine emotion. You get to experience that in its full glory. And if that means you're angry, just do it. Just be angry. Yeah. Yeah. That whole idea of being told my emotions were invalid is what catapulted me onto this journey. I very, I decided I was going to get a divorce in like a very abrupt manner Mm. and expected that I would just get a divorce and my husband and I would separate and he would move out of the house that we just bought and renovated seven months prior. And I was just going to go on living the rest of my life just with his absence, but nothing else would change. And of course, that's not what happened. And living in that house became really toxic really quickly. Mm-hmm. And so my mom suggested uh, she lived in LA and I was down in San Diego. And she was like, well, why don't you just come up here and stay with me while this sorts itself out? And I went up there to visit her. And so I was like dealing with the emotion of my divorce, I got really physically sick, of course, because those things happen (laughs) all the time, parallel to one another. And it was like, so she had suggested I come to live with her and I was losing my mind. And, uh, I remember her saying like, nobody feels like this. What you're feeling is not normal. And then interestingly, it was her telling me to go on medication that was like, no. And she had been on medication for as long as I can remember. And, and I think I saw it as like a means of avoidance, or at least it could be used in that way. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Um, and I remember just hearing that and it, it didn't make any sense. <laughs> like it was the first time. And I, you know, I had a similar thing with you. It was like, Oh, my childhood, like, Oh, my mom's kind of crazy. And my childhood was kind of nuts and whatever. Like, I'm fine. Like, look at all the success in my life. Like that's yeah. one of the, you know, I could point to, Oh, mm-hmm. well, I have this house and I have this career and I like, you know, I I'm eloquent and, and competent. And mm-hmm. so nothing's wrong. Right. Um, and I like, that was like a gut feeling of like, I am exactly where I need to be and I am feeling exactly what I need to feel. And I had this epiphany again, I was talking to my dad and I said, can you let, like, can you tell me like what issues I struggled with, with mom when I was a kid? And he said, exactly the same ones you're struggling with now. Mm. And I thought, Oh my God, like if I can't handle this, 
as a 28 year old or however I was, how did I handle this as a six year old? Like, how does one deal with their mother telling them, don't cry, your feelings aren't valid? Um, and yeah, I, I, I would love to talk about that decision, this decision to kind of cut contact. And I think I, you know, for me, what I discovered that desire to keep trying was an avoidance of grief, right? Like if I could keep holding on to the possibility that mm-hmm. she could get better or become a different person, then mm-hmm. I probably was avoiding the full breath of the grief associated with the fact that that might not happen. And that like my love and devotion wasn't going to unlock that mm-hmm. door for yeah. her. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like when I decided to, um, you know, cut contact with her, I mean, I guess I should even say, um, you know, we had not really had much of a relationship for the last few years anyway. Um, it was very sporadic, you know, occasional text messages, mostly not. Um, so there was long periods of no communication whatsoever. Um, I didn't even see them last year for the holidays. Um, you know, and, <laughs> I too find myself like wanting to like, um, bring up stories of, you know, things, but it's almost like irrelevant. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's almost irrelevant, but you know, there were just a lot of hurtful things that continued to sort of happen. And so for my mental health, I had decided this is a person I need to keep at arm's length. Right. And I have definitely done that. And maybe like, you know, like you just said, maybe similar to that hope, maybe keeping her at arm's length was a way for me to not deal with a lot of the anger and the grief that I felt. You well, know? I got that like from family members too, of like, you're taking the easy way out. You're just cutting it off instead of going head first. I mean, it's so yeah. fucking complex. Like, yeah. and I, and I just want to also say, and I'm sure you agree that like, I mean, I think at first there was some blame for sure. And I've reached the point where I recognize how much trauma my mom went through too, right? More so than I did. And I, and I think that's a big part of the healing process of, Mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah, it, you can, and both can coexist, right? Like I, I don't know if I'm at the forgiveness point yet. That's probably going to be a lifelong journey, but I fully understand why what happened happened. I I see all of the signs. I, and I really don't blame her for that. However, we can still make decisions that help us heal and gain clarity. And, you know, when I made the decision to stop to cut contact, like it wasn't a, and that's forever and end of story, the end. Mm-hmm. It was like uh, the way that I described it, it was like, I'm quitting alcohol and I'm not going to go hang out at the bar because yeah. if that, if this energy, this relationship is the source of a lot of my problems, I need to cut myself off from that source just to like figure out what the world is outside of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think like initially for me, when I, when I did finally decide to cut contact, it was sort of a means to an end. Um, because I, I very much for so long would just sort of placate her with text messages of, Oh, it's, 
just give me some time. I just need time to go through what I'm going through. And I literally found myself in one of the busiest, most emotional seasons of my life as I just continue to spiral. Um, And I had this point where I was like, I can't move on. I literally cannot move on with my day, with my week, with anything that I'm doing until I have sorted this out. And I just have to do it. And, and it was literally just like a cut, a tie to like the endless insane text messages, you know, the constant like calling and, and whatever else was happening that I just was like, nope, can't do it anymore. And then I think I was so surprised by the amount of grief that it caused for me. And I think, like you said, I 100% recognize that my mother herself had a terrible childhood and probably her mother had a terrible childhood. And, you know, she could probably and still does name a million stories that have caused her to essentially be the person that she is today. So I guess the thing that I wrestle with the most when it comes to that is while I have to grieve her loss of childhood and I have to grieve, you know, just her experience as a woman and a mother and a child at the same point, the reverse side of that is that at some point you have to take ownership of your own shit and say, I am important enough. My children are important enough that I'm not going to continue to perpetuate this, this dysfunctional living. And so I think that I wrestle with that a lot because while yes, you know, I, I, I'm definitely, I grieve for her. You know, I know she has so many unresolved issues and obviously you grieve for the loss of a connection that is inherent in all humans. Um, you know, we, even, even animals, you know, you always want to go back to home. There is that connection that's made. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, you have to decide, you know, is it you or me? It has to be me. You know, I can't let you take me down with you. Um, and I think that just the amount of grief that that brought up for me was very surprising, very surprising. I wasn't prepared for it. I don't think I didn't realize I would feel as much grief as I did have continued to feel. Um, but I knew that, I don't know, maybe, maybe honestly me cutting ties with her is just another step in, in my emotional healing. I don't know. And it's sort of open-ended, like you said, I mean, it's not even like I said, this is a six month trial or we'll see what happens in a year. I just knew that in that moment it had to stop. Yeah. Yeah, the grief was totally surprising for me too. I don't actually think I had much of an understanding that grief existed outside of the context of somebody dying. (laughs) And that was also really taboo. Like the fact that I would say I'm grieving the loss of the mother I never had was met with a lot of judgment, um, which proliferated the my feelings are invalid problem. Um, But that, that was... I fully agree. I was not prepared for that at all. 
uh, I'm sure medication probably would have done me some good. I mean, there were, <laughs> it was really, I mean, I'm, I'm also just like one of those crazy people that's like, we're going to do this. I'm going to do it all like as hard as possible. I was like in mm-hmm. therapy three times a week, like Amazing. I'm going to do this. Um, but yeah, it was, I was incapacitated with mm-hmm. grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it was interesting because I had all these experiences with grief and feeling. And like you said, I started to recognize that like my grief was the grief of the planets and my grief was my mother's grief and her grandmother's grief. And I saw that what I was feeling, I felt that I was feeling grief that was more than just my own. Mm. Before reading anything, before really opening myself up to like, what was this? I just had that feeling intuitively and then started reading about grief a lot and recognizing how that's what grief does is that it opens us to the world in a way that for many of us we're shut off um Mm -hmm. and that made me feel even more motivated to feel feelings (laughs) and like wow okay if I can fix my stuff maybe I can turn around and have the emotional capacity to fix and help fix someone else or fix this world. And, um, but yeah, that was, uh, caught me off guard, the level of sadness for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think for me too, it was sort of compounded by the sort of ending of another relationship in my life. And it's kind of what you had spoken to earlier when you sort of said that we bring people into our circle who continue to perpetuate the way that we were raised. And just that feeling of it being like this moment where you're sort of standing in the center of this vortex and you, you have this realization of like, Oh no, I thought I was. I thought I was past all that. You know, I thought I was doing better because like you said, you have success, you have, you know, a career, you have children, a wonderful family. Look at all the wonderful things that you have. You know, that's like modern day level of success. If you have these things, you are therefore successful and you should therefore be happy. Um, so uh, honestly, it, it was this moment where I was sort of just really taken back to almost like square one when I thought I was at square one already, you know, to just be like, oh man, recognizing parallels sort of, you know, in the people that I have brought into my circles and, and just saying, it's so much bigger than I thought it was. And I think that grief for me was just overwhelming, just oh, so for overwhelming, sure. you know, and, yeah. and also too brought with it these intense feelings of just loneliness and just being completely alone in whatever world I'm in, you know, because clearly I can't be trusted. <laughs> I can't be trusted to, you know, to, I can't trust myself. I can't trust, you know, my intuition. I can't trust the people in my, in my life, you know, it's just this, it's a very, very all encompassing, like mind fuck for lack of of a better word. Yeah. I remember saying something about my ex-husband when I was in therapy about like what had happened at the end of our marriage. And I said something like he got crazy. And my therapist was like, he didn't get crazy on you. He Mm -hmm. was always crazy. And 
the it the it is so profound to realize that once you start to wake up to all of these things and you start to see the patterns and you start to see how they are replicated mm-hmm. in regard to friends and romantic relationships across the board like it is so terrifying that like your entire reality changes and you realize that nothing has changed and that these things have been going on this whole time and you've basically allowed them to happen. And that's where it's like, you have the choice. Like, okay, I was blind. I didn't see it before, but now I see it. And to take that on without shame and judgment is really hard. Um, but yeah, that I talk about like different forms of grief a lot. And through this whole process, I actually think that was the most debilitating was mm-hmm. like the grief of reality in my surroundings. Like, okay, I've gone through this big change. I'm different. I'm this. Let me go back to all the same people and things that before provided me comfort and support and mm-hmm. been like, oh wait, that shit's the thing that pushed me into this black hole to begin with. And then you have to you're a new person. You feel like you've gone through this transformation and then you realize that your entire world is not what you thought it was. Yeah. It's like mind boggling. Yeah. I mean, I think too, though, I guess, you know, the thing that sort of keeps coming back to me is that I, I know that I cannot surround myself with people who aren't willing to just take that painful deep dive and look into their own shit. I just can't make space for that. Um, I can't make space for excuses for people. And I think, like I said, I mean, I feel like that was sort of um, reflected in my decision to cut ties with my mom as well, because I kind of, I, I came to this point where I was like, man, I don't have everything figured out. And as much shit as I have like drug myself through, you know, some of it necessary, some of it, I'm sure unnecessary, but as, as hard as I have worked over the last two years, there's no way in hell I could even be around people or open myself up in a vulnerable way to people who just don't fucking get it and who just won't do the work for themselves because it's not fair to me. You know, it's not fair to me for, you know, the further, um, the further healing that I need to do. Um, I, I feel like it does a disservice to all the shit that I've, <laughs> that I've gone through over the past couple of years. And I don't think it's too much to ask for people to do things like that, you know, and not like saying every single person needs to be able to, you know, put themselves through therapy. A lot of people had great childhoods. You know, a lot of people don't have the, the traumas that, you know, other people have, but I feel like, you know, inherently as humans walking this earth, there's a lot of shit that people need to become aware of. And and I just can't, you know, I can't keep putting myself around people who, who won't allow me to, to have the fullest expression of that for myself and who also won't do the same work for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that was a huge motivation behind having this conversation with you was because I think at that time, for a moment, I kind of made the assumption that I was all alone. And in fact, I, <laughs> I had one other profound therapy moment. I would get into these places of like immense grief and crying. Mm -hmm. And 
I felt that the more I did that, it was very clear to me that the processing of emotion was leading to further clarity and, you know, Mm. quote unquote enlightenment, I guess you could say, right. Just like being more aware and conscious of what was going on. And I realized that as I went down that path, I, it felt isolating. And Mm. I remember going into therapy and being like, I feel like every time I have these moments and I feel like I'm avoiding them because I feel like by feeling them and learning more that I'm further isolating myself. And she said like, you know, do you think you might have had that feeling as a kid? Mm. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) And like just her saying that, like, yes, of course, that's totally what this is. Mm -hmm. It like, it went away. Like, and then I felt totally like, all right, let's go here. Let's do this. Let's keep going. Let's go as deep as possible. And of course, eventually I found people and resources and, you know, things that made me feel less alone in that process. And, you know, of course that opens up another issue, I think, which is now, you know, to look out on the people, especially the people that you care about, but just strangers and people in general and see people asleep. Like Mm -hmm. I walk into a shopping mall and I don't know what to do with myself. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's bad. (laughs) Um, And it's, it's hard, you know, I I think I I was going to ask too, like, do you, what did, did you set, did you get any of this? Did, was any of this fallout happened with like the rest of your family? Do you have siblings? Was that like a challenging thing to maneuver to as far as reality goes? Um, I mean, I do have siblings. Um, they've all been, I have, uh, four sisters, um, three of them I'm pretty close with, um, because so my parents separated when I was very young. So my dad had three girls and then my mother had one girl. Um, so I am closest, um, with my, uh, paternal side sisters, I guess. And honestly, you know, they just all sort of reached out to me, um, in support, you know, they were all really supportive. My stepmom, um, has, has always been really, really supportive of me. Um, you know, my dad, that was a, another relationship that I, I really struggled with for years and years and years. Um, but you know, even, you know, he had sent me a message and said he was really proud of me. And, and, and I don't, I mean, to me, I don't feel like there's anything to be proud of, you know, it's not like I've <laughs> cured cancer. Um, but I think just the fact that even someone, you know, like my dad, who is pretty old school, um, and probably has things that he needs to, um, address himself, but just the fact that he could recognize the work and the growth that I was doing, I felt like said quite a bit. Um, I find most people who know me, know me, do not discuss my blog with me. Um, And I don't know if it's because they want to sort of be anonymous voyeurs and pretend like, you know, it's, it's not actually me that they're reading from, Mm -hmm. or if it's because it's uncomfortable for them um, to read, or maybe they just don't, don't know what to say. Um, But I, I mean, I did also have people make comments to me of like, just that there were things I shouldn't talk about or, I, the the comment was said to me, you say a lot online. And it was sort of understood that like a lot probably equaled too much for some people. And, you know, that I, I did actually take a little bit of a break from writing just because 
Well, I feel it's really important for me to speak my truth. The, the other side of that, that I really wrestle with is I would never want to hurt someone with something that I've said. And I want to make it completely clear that everything that I write is obviously subjective. It's my opinion, right? So I think that's sort of the other part of it. Um, it's not like there are no, you know, villains or heroes. It's literally just my experience. And through writing, I have realized that I am not this broken, flawed, you know, person that I thought that I was. Um, that was probably the biggest thing that's come out of me writing, looking at my early, early um, posts and just seeing this, um, just this image that I had of myself as this really, you know, person who didn't deserve the life she had and this person who took everything for granted and was ungrateful and wasn't worthy of, of love. And, um, I feel like I'm glad I have those posts to go back and look at, even though they are challenging to read, but I can clearly see someone who is in so much pain, right? I mean, so it's good for me now to see that I'm, I recognize that those were, you know, those were not the, they weren't accurate representations of, of how I should have felt about myself. Yeah. Yeah. I've had to extend a lot of like, just, you know, kind feelings, I guess, toward myself, this, Mm-hmm. I struggle with it across the board, the balance between just the the trouble with being somewhat public, any sort of a public figure or quote unquote influencer when you are talking about this type of stuff, because on the one hand, I feel such a pull to say everything and be totally honest. Like right. I have, I have no filter and I want to say it all. And on the other hand, I want to be mindful of people's feelings and, I don't want to hurt anybody and um, it's hard. And I think I've had to, I've gone back and forth on this a lot and realized that like, I'm going to make mistakes sometimes. And I think part of just trying to do the right thing in this space means that you fuck up once in a while. Um, But it's, it's challenging. And I, I think all we can do is just manage that line as best we can between being honest and authentic and helpful for people, but also, you know, thinking about like a year, two years, three years down the line and being like, was that really necessary for me to say all of that? And and especially with this, it's so hard because I think what enabled me to stay in a place of denial was people telling me that my experiences weren't that bad. And so I, I have this desire to like talk a little bit about what those experiences were because I want other people to realize that even if someone's telling you they're not that bad, they actually are pretty serious. Um, but it's hard. I mean, I, I think about the fact that I'm talking about people and that's, that's uncomfortable and hard. And real, real people, not just characters, you know? And I mean, I think the thing that's like, I think the thing to me that, that really, really stands out over what I've learned about myself, you know, over the past few years and just through reflection is that 
I do think it's important to tell those stories, but it's less about the words that people have said or the things that they have done. And it's more about the way that they have made you feel. Right. So I'm able to sort of get that across. Like, yes, maybe this wasn't a hurtful, you know, didn't, didn't intend to be hurtful or yes, maybe this was a really terrible thing to say. Like, regardless, it was the way that it made me feel that that was, that was the problem. And that sort of where the hang up was, you know, um, because I feel like a lot of times people, people do get hung up on sort of the superficial, right? You said this to me, you know, you didn't do this or, you know, I had unmet expectations, but really, you know, at the core of what that superficial layer is, the core of that is how that person's actions or words made you feel. Um, and I think for myself, a lot of how I have felt is not validated, very lonely, very isolated. Um, like my feelings and my thoughts and my opinions on things weren't important. Um, because I feel like that has sort of been kind of reiterated to me throughout my life for the last few years. Um, so, you know, through writing my blog, I probably the most resounding thing that I hear from people is that they so much identify with what I'm saying and that they feel like I have either used their words or I could be telling their story or, you know, I have given them words to finally understand how they're feeling. Um, so I think that when I continue to get messages like that, it's things like that that make me realize that I, while it is probably painful and um, while I have to continue to sort of be um, mindful, but I need to, I need to continue to put, you know, my experiences out there just so that, you know, I don't know, other people can sort of re relate and then maybe take a look at, at themselves and, and figure out, you know, why they're feeling the way they're feeling. Yeah. And I think vulnerability definitely breeds vulnerability. I think we need yeah. more people, even in private spaces with friends to talk and feel safe to be, you know, talk honestly about their feelings and their experiences. And I find too, the more I say, as I wander around this earth and the more I open myself up, um, whether it's through actual words or just me allowing myself to be open as I walk through this world and not so guarded, I constantly am running into people like you too, you yeah. too. And you, and you, you know, like I met with this collective of women who are going through similar situations as me or experiences as me. And if it were not for that vulnerability of me being open and honest, and I don't know, maybe sometimes too honest, you know, then, then I wouldn't have those people in my life that I can look to, to say, wow, we're going through this at the same time. Or, you know, like, I feel like, you know, shame lives in silence. And so there are a lot of things that we, we don't have to be ashamed of because they're necessary and, and important to your development and growth as a human. Mic drop. 
<laughs> Will that be my quote? <laughs> it might be. I, it's funny because I never think to think about that when I record the episode. And you just said that. I was like, that's it. That's the quote. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. So we, I mean, we could probably keep going, but uh, I think that's a good place to stop. Um, yeah. Before we go though. So two questions I always ask. One, oh, no, I'm not recommend prepared. one book to everyone oh. oh okay recommend a book yeah yes I will I will recommend I don't remember who it's by I'm really sorry but um the body keeps the score oh yeah yeah who is that by I have that sitting on my book I don't remember who it's by I'm sorry why it's okay we both failed <laughs> honestly it's it's such a fascinating read so fascinating that I find myself reading it so intensely slow so that I can digest like really digest every single word it's fascinating especially if you um I feel like it hits both sides right it hits like the emotional um nature versus nurture side but it also hits the sciencey side for people who you know need um laboratory tests and like you know physical proof of of how trauma lives in people um generational trauma etc so the body keeps the score is amazing um and where can people find you Oh, you can find me, um, on Instagram, actually just Trisha underscore Hughes underscore. And, um, you could visit my blog, but I wouldn't, (laughs) I don't post there. Um, You, you can find me at medicatedlikeme.com. That's my other, that's my, um, blog that you can read. Um, but mainly I'm on Instagram. And I did want to tell you about quickly that, um, the therapeutic photography project, um, it's this nonprofit group and it's called, um, La Femme project and they're out of New York. And so, um, they just kind of focus on therapeutic photography, but they're kind of branching out to like other artists and creatives. So it's really, really very, very cool project. So awesome. Yeah. I'm going to be in New York at the end of the month. Maybe I could, uh, yeah, check them out on Instagram. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. I very much appreciate you yeah. being willing to come and talk about this very challenging yeah. stuff. I know it's not the easiest in the world. Okay. Honestly, I'm just super glad that we got a chance to talk about it. And I feel like we have similar yet varied experiences. And, you know, I know that if anything, you know, maybe this will just validate something that somebody else has been going through and just don't quite have the words, or maybe they are not ready to process it or I don't know. For sure. I hope that too. All right. Thanks. Yep. Hello again. Thanks for listening to that episode as always. Um, As a reminder, this podcast is ad free, hopefully forever, because I really don't like ads. (laughs) I don't like really listening to them and I don't like giving them, even if I really like things that I would genuinely want to share. Just like the repetitive, unnatural inauthenticity of selling stuff is very strange to me. Um, So I'd really like to keep this ad free. And if you would like to help me do that, you can head over to patreon.com slash Anya Cates, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S. And in exchange for just a few dollars a month, you can help support the show and get access to lots of bonus stuff that I post. So bonus episodes. I do a weekly column of inspiration, like an article that I love or something I've been watching, music that I've been listening to. Send that out weekly. Uh, There's t-shirts and I do monthly worksheets, 
basically do a lot of stuff for not a lot of money, which is fine because it's intellectually and creatively stimulating for me, but I would really appreciate the help. So if you would like to continue this podcast, if you, um, continue to grow this podcast, rather, if you enjoy these conversations and want to hear more and grow this amazing network that we're growing, um, head to Patreon. So I try to avoid playing super popular, well-known songs on this podcast, uh, because I think it just makes it more interesting. And I like sharing music that not everybody knows, but I made a commitment when I started this podcast. It was actually one of the things I was most excited about in starting it was that I wanted whatever song I played to be thematically linked to the interview that I had. And over the months of writing down all the people that I wanted to interview and the conversations I wanted to have in the background was always, and what song would I play along with that? Um, so it's been a really fun process for me to do that. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, I have a Spotify playlist, by the way, of all the songs I play on the show. It's just called a millennial's guide to saving the world, I believe. So go check that out if you want. Um, anyway, but in sticking to my whole thematic thing, uh, sometimes playing a popular song is unavoidable. Um, as will be the case today. <laughs> um, so the song that I'm playing today is A Case of You by Joni Mitchell. And I chose this song because it is a supremely important song to me and my mother and my aunt, my mom's sister, who died at a very young age of breast cancer. Um, and I see this song and, and of course other songs and other things in my life as these sort of like ancestral links, uh, genetic links between myself and the women in my family. And I wanted to, in this episode that I recorded with Trisha and in some of the other episodes I record that are on this subject, really bring light to the mother wound and the conversations that we don't always have about our mothers. But that isn't to say that, as I mentioned a bit on the show, um, that this is an extremely complex issue, and I have so much love and appreciation and gratitude toward my mom and her mom and all of the experiences that my really like entire maternal ancestral line went through. And all of those um, experiences I recognize are a part of me as well. There was this uh, quote or fact, I guess, that I read online recently that said how um, the eggs in our body as women are formed as babies in our mother's womb, which means that the egg that became you actually was in your grandmother's stomach. And like, what an amazingly potent metaphor, I think, to ancestral lineage as a whole. Um, the story behind this song is that, uh, I believe it was one of my, um, aunts, her name was Doran. It's actually my middle name. It was one of her favorite songs. My, both of my mom and her really loved Joni Mitchell. And my mom played this song at her wedding to my dad. And right after the song played, there was a rainbow. And, um, my mom sort of instantly knew that it was Doran that was present at the wedding. And, and some of the lyrics in the song um, are, I am a lonely painter. I live in a box of paints. I'm frightened by the devil and I'm drawn to those ones that ain't afraid. I remember that time you told me, you said, love is touching souls. Surely you touched mine because part of you pours out of me 
in these lines from time to time. And um, those lyrics are striking, and I think they're striking for so many reasons. And, and what it really means to me is, you know, while we are passed down the trauma and the grief of our ancestors, uh, we are also passed down the gifts and the experiences that are not always negative. Um, and in this journey of grappling with the mother wound, I mean, obviously we have wounding associated with, um, fathers as well and all of that, but in grappling with this, it is such a nuanced, complex issue. And I will likely, uh, be on a lifelong journey of grappling with the anger, the gratitude, the love, the, um, grief. Like there are so many different elements as the for elements, the forgiveness, right? These are all present at the same time. And while I feel that the negative emotion are the emotions that need the most, um, publicity, I suppose, uh, because they're so infrequent, that doesn't mean that I don't have a great deal of, uh, love and capacity to forgive as well. Um, so I sort of wanted to end this episode with, you know, a little bit, I guess, of a juxtaposition to the conversation that Trisha and I had. I know we addressed the complexity of this, but I really wanted to end it on a note of, um, hope and change and feeling super grateful and blessed for all of the wonderful qualities that I was passed down from my mom and her mom and, um, Hope to talk more about that on future episodes, but always important to live in the gray area. So until next time, this is A Case of You by Joni Mitchell.
of pains I'm frightened by the devil And I'm drawn to those ones that ain't afraid I remember that time you told me You said love is touching souls Surely you touched my anchor Part of you pours out of me Be prepared to bleed. 